You'll turn in your scripture to the book of 1 John. We're going to continue this morning in studying 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to talk about faith is the victory. And we'll begin with reading the word of God. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. In sports, sporting events, we often hear post-game interviews, especially after big games, right? Think Major League Baseball playoffs. Think about the NFL, NBA, NCAA, all different types of sports. You'll see interviews that are conducted post-game. And those interviews oftentimes, oftentimes uh, post-game will involve people uh, talking about thanking their, their parents or thanking their coaches. But much, much of the time, we hear them talking about the fact that they had faith. And sometimes that faith will be somewhat Christian, and I say somewhat Christian because they'll misapply Scripture. We, we all have heard, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and they sometimes want to apply that to the fact that they shot a 40-foot three-pointer that went in at the buzzer and won the team the game. Well, it may very well have been God's will for that shot to be shot at that moment and go in and for them to win the game. But I think sometimes what they're meaning to say is they had faith in their own abilities. And I think if they were honest in those moments, many times they would say, well, we trusted in our practice. We trusted in our preparation. We trusted in the coach's game plan. We trusted in these other things. They're putting their faith in something, and they're attributing that to the fact that they got the victory because they had faith in something. 
Hopefully you guys know what I'm talking about. You can watch montages of these things on YouTube about people thanking God post-games and you'll see some famous faces. And I love to see that and I'm not trying to disparage anybody who does that. I, I just want us to rightfully understand that the, the misplacement sometimes of where is their faith in that victory. Well, if you ever watch the losing side, sometimes they have great Christian people who are on their team, and they had faith in their preparation, and they had faith that they were going to win that game, but yet they lost. And I want to encourage us today, as John encourages us, that we have already won as Christians. And our faith is in a victory that has already been won. And so our faith as believers in Jesus Christ, our faith is the victory. Our faith is how we win because God has already done all that is required to win the battle. And our faith is in the victory that has already taken place. So as we, as we study today, I want us to see a few things. And I, and I was asked about this, and I will caution you, we will talk about love again uh, many of you have, uh, have loved the uh, middle part of 1 John where we talk a lot about love and we will not escape that. We don't want to escape that, right? Because it's in God's word. We want to love that. So we're going to love that today as we talk a little more about love. But I want us to frame our, our time and study this morning with this. Faith in Jesus Christ leads us to some things. Okay, so faith in, in Christ or faith in Jesus Christ leads us to number one, love. And when we say that, we mean the love of God and our fellow believers. It leads us to obedience, obedience to God's commands. It leads us to victory. And that victory is the victory over the world. And fourth and finally, it leads us to eternal life, which needs no additional explanation. So faith in Jesus Christ leads us to love, obedience, victory, and eternal life. We're going to start by looking at verse 1. Everyone who believes... That Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So we see here this love, again, is faith in Christ leads us to love God and our fellow believers. He says, everyone who believes or has faith that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the promised Son of God, Jesus as in the only begotten. Jesus as in the one who was immaculately conceived, born, lived the perfect life, tried, wrongly convicted, crucified on the cross, raised on the third day, this Jesus Christ, for those who believe and have faith in him, we have been born of God. This, this concept of being born of God there, please notice that there is a tense that is used here. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This is something that has already occurred in the life of the believer. For those of you who are here today who are professing faith in Jesus Christ and you believe in the gospel message about him, when you believed, you were 
born again. When we talk about being born again, hopefully in your minds in Scripture, if you're, if you're questioning that, we would go back to John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, in chapter 3, there's a conversation that takes place between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. And he came to Jesus with some questions, but love this, love this, Jesus knew his heart He didn't need the questions to answer the questions, and he actually went to the heart of what Nicodemus was wondering about. And Jesus has a conversation with him about being born again. And if we read in that account, you'll see Nicodemus is somewhat confused, and he's like, surely you're not talking about entering into a womb and being born again. And and Jesus explains to him that he's not talking about being born a second time physically. He's talking about being born again spiritually. And so when a person believes in Jesus Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they are spiritually born, made alive with Christ. That's what Christians believe, that's what Christians say, that's what we teach when we talk about being born again, we're talking about the spiritual birth, the second birth. And so we believe that that has taken place in the life of the believer when they place their faith in Jesus Christ. And for those who have believed, you have become the children of God. If we read in scripture about calling God Father, Abba, We can call him that based on the fact that we are his children. We have received adoption as believers in Jesus Christ. Because of our faith, we have been adopted into the family of God. We can pray to him in prayer. He loves us and cares for us. We love him and serve him. He will treat us like children in love and providing an inheritance. He will treat us like children in discipline when we are disobedient, which is also important for us to note, but we become the children of God. Why am I belaboring this point? Because it's important for us to know that we are his children because as we look at the last part of verse one, it says that everyone who loves the father does what? We're going to love whoever has been born of him. John has been talking to the believers about loving their fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And he reiterates that point here that if we have been born of God, if we are God's children, we are going to love the other children in our family. Certainly, if you have children in your household, you can, you can understand this. My expectation is that my children love each other. We were having a small conversation about that love for each other this morning, right? The way that our children relate to each other sometimes can look adversarial. That's not what we want as parents. What we want to see as parents is we want to see the beautiful picture of the siblings. Oh, I see that you're thirsty. Here's some water. Oh, you know, don't do that laundry. I'll do that for you. I love you so much. You know, I saw that you needed this. I'm going to take care of that for you. That's what we want as parents, right? And we're talking about, we're talking about our own children here. But think about what that means in the greater picture of the church. God's children, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, God seeks to see us loving one another. The world is hateful enough. I tell my children, actually, I actually preached this mini sermon to them this morning. The world is hateful 
enough to each other. The world is hateful enough and mistreats Christians enough as it is. Inside of our own family, we ought to be loving and caring and generous towards each other. That's what God desires. That's what we should desire. We are loving God. We are loving and caring for our brothers and sisters first in the family of God. We also care for the world. But John specifically here is talking about the family. So everyone who loves God, the Father, will also love his brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So that's our first point. The faith in Christ leads us to love, loving God, loving others. Secondly, faith in Jesus Christ leads us to obedience to God's commands. Let's, let's look at verses two and three. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. We're being given evidence of faith. When we read this, this letter from John, when you read this, and I, and I hope that it's, it's so short, you could probably read it in about 20 to 30 minutes if you just sat down and, and, and read the book. We, we preach on it for about six months, right? So we want to make sure we really get it. But if you sat down and read this, hopefully what I, I, I think John was, was, was intending to convey to his original audience what we're, we're seeing here today is we're being given evidences that we are believers. We're being shown that as followers of Jesus Christ, you will do these things, or these things are fruits of the believer in the life of the believer. And it says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we Love God and obey his commands. We know that we love the children, other believers, because we love God and we're obeying his commandments. So we see that faith in Jesus Christ leads us to obey God's commands. Now, you may be saying to yourself, wait a minute, is he trying to put us back under the law? No, no. As I have shared with many of you, I love bacon, right? Too much to surrender myself back under the law. That's sort of a joke, right? We, we, we don't want to, again, place the, the, the yoke or the burden of the law back onto us. And it says here in Scripture that, that his commands are not a burden. So what commands are we talking about? Are we talking about just the Ten Commandments? Are we, are we talking about the full Levitical law? Well, I believe, and I would say to you that what John is talking about is the commandments that we were given, the teachings that we were given from Jesus Christ. And if we were to look at a couple places, uh, you don't have to turn here, but in, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, we see the Pharisees coming to talk to Jesus, and they're asking him questions about the law. And it says, the Pharisees, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
The teachings that we have of Jesus Christ are built around these two laws. The teachings that God gave us from the original Ten Commandments are built around these two. Jesus is telling this Sadducee lawyer that all of the law is built upon those two things, loving God and loving other people, which is what we started out with today in our first point. And we see further the teachings that Jesus gives throughout the New Testament are built on and hang on these two truths. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, we see additionally that we are to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what are we obeying? Well, we are obeying God's commands that he has given us through Jesus Christ. We are living a life patterned after the one that Christ lived. We are living lives that are fulfilling the Great Commission. We are living lives doing those things not out of obligation, but as a response in love. Thirdly, we'll see victory. Faith in Jesus Christ leads us to victory over the world. Verses four and five say, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? So everyone who has been born of God, that is, has faith in Jesus Christ, overcomes the world. Our faith Our faith is that victory. Don't be like the NBA players who are putting faith in the fact that you've shot thousands of free throws or three-pointers and you're putting your faith in that to win that game. Don't Don't be like the church person who puts faith in the fact that your name was on the cradle roll and your name was on the Sunday school all-star list who never missed a Sunday in 10 years. Don't put your faith in the fact that you walked an aisle at a vacation Bible school and got fully submersed in water at some time later and then think that you can go live however you want to because you've got your fire insurance. That is not Christianity. That is you fooling yourself. And it's just as foolish as it seems that someone would put all of their faith in their own abilities. It is exactly the same thing when we put faith in our own abilities as followers of Jesus Christ to think that we can earn salvation either by following a law or by doing some set of things that we think that we need to do. What does it say? How do we overcome? How is it that we are victorious over the world? Here's a hint. It's not anything that we did. It is what God has done. It is through faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. And I know that's three things, but they're all true. Our faith is how we overcome the world. Not by effort, not by following law, not by learning uh, what's in the scriptures and then trying to work our way through and thinking that we're such a holy, wonderful person. The truth remains that we are sinners deserving of an eternal life in hell apart from what Christ did for us on the cross. Now, we should endeavor as Christians to be obedient We should endeavor to love God and love others. We should endeavor to live lives that would be worthy of someone calling us a Christian. 
But our faith is not in those things. Our faith is in the victory that Christ won for us on the cross. And in that alone. It is a work that God has done in the life of the believer. It is a work that God has done through his word. It is a a work that God has done through Jesus Christ. It is a work that God has done through the Holy Spirit working in the life of the believer to bring us to the point where we understand our sinfulness. We understand our need for a Savior. All of those things are happening because of what God has done, because of what God is doing, because of what God will do. If we were to look in Scripture at an example of faith and victory coming from God, we need look no further than Joshua and the battle of Jericho. A long Sunday school favorite, a long favorite hopefully of all of our kids because we have good songs about Joshua and the battle of Jericho and we could march in circles when when we sing that song. But that story really begins with Joshua's encounter with an angel. An angel with a drawn sword, right? And that angel explains to Joshua that this victory is the Lord's. You're going to be obedient and walking around praising God, blowing a trumpet, praising God as you walk around the city. That's your responsibility. Your responsibility is faith. Your responsibility is obedience. And the victory is the Lord's. And as you guys know the story, they were obedient, they were faithful, they believed that the victory was theirs and that God was going to do something amazing and God did. As they circled the city on the final day and they blew the trumpets and they shouted out to the Lord, the walls of the city collapsed and God delivered the victory. The same thing is true in the lives for us today. We are to believe, we are to be obedient. And we are to trust God to deliver the victory in our lives because he already has. We are to trust and be faithful. The Israelites were able to overcome. We are able to overcome. Not by fighting, but by faith. We are going to overcome this world. We are are going to be able to uh, be able to persist and to go on and face the, the, the challenges of every day, not out of our own strength, but out of the strength that Christ gives us, out of the strength of knowing that God has already, he's got this, right? And while we may have struggles, while we may have challenges in this world, we know where we belong, and that is not here. Ultimately, our hope is in heaven. Our hope is with God. Our hope is that at some point in time, the the aches and pains and disappointments and sadness and all of that will be made right, and we will be where he is eternally, having the victory delivered. Fourth, eternal life. Faith in Jesus Christ leads us to that eternal life that we were just talking about. Now, as we move to uh, number four, we're going to spend just a little bit of time talking about the importance of testimony uh, because testimony here is, is, is vitally important for us to understand because it's, it's discussed in Scripture, not only that, but we want to understand where we're getting the testimony about this eternal life from. So verses 6 through 8 we'll, we'll, we'll touch on first. This is he who came by water and blood, 
Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. So in verses 6 through 8 here, we have the testimony of the water, blood, and Spirit. Now, admittedly, there, there could be some different interpretations of, of what is it talking about when it's talking about the water. And if you've ever studied this passage, you, you will probably have seen lots of different uh, understandings of what this could be, what, what, this, you know, what this might be. But I want to offer to you today my understanding of Scripture and, and I, I believe that I'm in the mainstream here on, on, on my beliefs of the, the need for uh, multiple witnesses and the reason why we have the explanation that I'll give you on the water, blood, and the spirit. First, why do we need three? Well, we need three um, because that's the way God wanted it. But if we want a better explanation, uh, and they don't really need one, uh, we can see that according to Jewish law, they would not have accepted a single witness as a testimony for anything. In Deuteronomy 19, we see where it says a single witness does not suffice against a person for any crime of wrongdoing. Only the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall the charge be established. So if we're looking to prove this, if we're looking to show this beyond reasonable doubt, we would understand that two or three witnesses would be needed. So let's talk about these witnesses of the water, the blood, and the spirit. For the water, I, I, I would submit to you today that that's talking about the baptism of Jesus. Now, why is it that we, we need these witnesses? Why is it that we want to we wanna talk about this? Well, if our faith is in Jesus Christ, we need to show that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Because if Jesus Christ is not the holy son of God, if he is not the, the, the perfect lamb of God, if he is not the one who died sacrificially in our place on the cross, if he is not the one who rose again on the third day, we have no reason to be here. We're wasting our time. Because if he is not all of those things, then we are more pitied, more to be pitied among people than anyone else because we will have believed something that is not true. But Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Jesus Christ did all of the things he said he, he was going to do. He fulfilled all of the prophecies that God had given about him. And the evidence that we're being given through the water is the baptism of Jesus Christ. If you remember that story, if you remember the account that's given in John's gospel, chapter 1, John bears witness and says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that he is the Son of God. This is John the Baptist speaking. And in Mark's account, in Mark 1 of the baptism of Christ, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. In these accounts, we see that at the baptism of Jesus Christ, 
we see him being recognized as the Son of God. It's important for us to understand that Jesus didn't need to be baptized for the remission of any sins. He was being baptized to show who he was, and he was being baptized to show us the way. In the baptism of Christ, we get to see God the Father speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming up out of the water. We get to see the Trinity, the Godhead, being presented to us in Scripture, and we get to hear from earthly testimony from John the Baptist and heavenly testimony from God that this Jesus is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So the water testifies that Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Son of God. The blood, the blood testimony that we have is Christ's crucifixion on the cross. 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross testifies to who Jesus was. If we think about the things that occurred at the time of Christ's crucifixion, the earthquake that was recorded, the tearing of the veil at the temple, the testimony of those who were, who were there saying, surely this was the Son of God. That was a Roman centurion. These are testimonies that Jesus was who he said he was. And our third testimony is from the Holy Spirit. In John 15, it says, but when the helper comes whom I will send you, this is Jesus talking, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He is, he's saying that when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will also testify. The Holy Spirit will also bear witness that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus did the things that God wanted him to do, and he fulfilled all prophecy. There is testimony from these three that say that Jesus is who he said he was. And if that's not enough, looking in verses 9 through 12, we'll see that we also have testimony of God. Verse 9 from our, our primary text says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. If we are willing to receive the testimony of men, why would we not receive the testimony that we have received directly from God? Why would we believe that mankind has more of our best interest in heart? Why would we believe that they're more likely to tell the truth? Because they are certainly not. God has given us an entire book of writing to prove and to show that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. And it's through believing in Jesus that we have forgiveness of sins, we have a security and eternity in heaven with God, and, and, and we have victory over this world. 
Notice here that there is no wiggle room. John does not provide that. God does not provide that. He simply says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And while we may say, but, but wait a minute, you know, what about these other things? That's works are of no value. But what about the fact that my parents took me to church? That, no, you either have the son or you do not. Coming back to our passage that we read for our call to worship, I want to close this with the thoughts of the fact that we have received Forgiveness. We have received victory through what Christ has done for us. And as we, we, we believe and as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we will be led to love, obedience, victory, and eternal life. We have all the evidence in the world to show to us that we can have that free gift through our faith. My question for you today is, will you believe? Will you believe the testimony of men? Will you believe the testimony of Christ at his baptism, at his crucifixion? Will you believe the testimony that the Holy Spirit bears? Will you believe the testimony that God has given? And as we look back at Romans, we want to be those who can say, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, Where is your sting? Because the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, as we have our faith firmly placed in Christ, Scripture says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our faith today is the victory. Our faith represents the completed work of Christ on the cross. The salvation of mankind was provided by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't be defeated. Don't be discouraged. Don't be deceived into believing that salvation comes any other way. It is only through the faith in Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, we we pray, Lord, that you would be with us today. We pray, Lord, that we would trust you and what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would know that Our faith truly is in the victory that you have provided for us. We pray that we would trust you. We pray that we would love you. We pray that we would obey you. We pray, Lord, that we would experience that victory each and every day as we look forward to the day when we come home to be with you and live eternally with you in heaven. We ask and pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.